Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm with Kathy Carey, who is a pioneer chef in Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown. And we are here at Kathy's home, actually in her kitchen. Kathy, I couldn't be more delighted to be sitting down with you as we embark on the holiday season. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome and glad to be here, Michelle. This is going to be amazing because you have such an incredible story and you are so accomplished. You were born here in Louisville. You grew up on a working farm. Was it inevitable that you'd work in the food business in some way? I think so. I mean, growing up at the farm um, was a very special childhood and uh, we were very active on the farm, uh, but not only with, you know, riding horses and herding cattle and collecting chicken eggs, but helping in the garden, picking berries, planting, weeding. <laughs> um, and then, of course, helping not only with the picking of things, but helping in making some of the food items. And the older I got, I got more involved with reading Gourmet Magazine and wanting to do recipes. And as my mother was cooking, I thought, well, I, I could do this, an experiment, and they were paying for the ingredients. So this kind of worked well for me, And but I was learning, and that was very um and pleasing people and that of course down the road is that's the hospitality business so right. I think I was destined to get in the, the food business it was ingrained in you yes <laughs> you later in your life moved to Washington DC where you had some great opportunities and really developed your culinary skills yes I after high school I wanted to sort of explore explore um, a little freedom and I had some friend in Washington DC I thought I'd go there and see what I could do for a year and ended up finding a woman who had hired me as her Cordon Bleu assistant and she taught classes to a lot of diplomats wives and I was her assistant not only prepping but cleaning up and then meeting these wonderful people who in the end hired me to cater their parties so I had instant gratitude and in learning and then getting paid to cater. And um, with that, I met interesting people. Uh, my career blossomed in a way I had no idea. Um, but I, as you cater a party and you make two, four, six people happy, you get hired. Word of mouth. Right. And it spread really well in D.C. in the um, early 70s. I was one lucky person. And I just kept pursuing that and had my own business. And then I dabbled in briefly how to what was like to be a chef in a restaurant and I worked as a lunch chef in a restaurant in Georgetown and um, realized that was very different than the catering but I enjoyed um, oh the speed working on the line um, the frustrations <laughs> and um, and how quick you had to learn uh, to survive in the restaurant business what a great learning ground yes. and you met some fantastic people in that experience, oh, I met, um, they, they were, that, that period of time in Washington, they were filming uh, Clarence Darrow, so I met uh, Shirley Fonda. Uh, they were filming All the President's Men. I would help feed that staff. I was feeding 
hors d'oeuvres at Tom Brokaw, Ed Bradley. Um, it was just uh, the, the, the media uh, or cocktail parties where they hired me and, and, and movies. So it was, I was readily available. And once again, word spread, and, and I was the lucky recipient of, of the catering. It was like a dream job. <laughs> it, it was a dream job, and it paid well back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. As the story goes, a man from Louisville lured you back. <laughs> yes, a man from, I went home for a sister's wedding and kind of never came back. Um, and what lured me also, which is my future husband, but was a job to open a restaurant. And they pretty much allowed me to create the menu which was inspired by my Kentucky roots and also with a twist on what I'd been learning in DC at my Cordon Bleu classes so I came home and was the opening chef at age 20 um, was in charge of all the hiring firing and the menus um, at a restaurant called the fig tree and uh, I learned a lot there in a year's time and worked very hard but also realized I could never work in a restaurant again unless I owned it myself due to all sorts of reasons, mainly all the work it took. Worked there for a solid year and, and basically gave my two weeks notice. But you were young, too. I was 20 years old. Yes, that's <laughs> a lot of responsibility. It was a lot of responsibility, a lot of headaches, but I, I learned hours. a lot. I feel, feel like I was also very lucky when some people who I hired, because I was so young, they are very a lot of them very kind to me and patient, um, and they helped me. Uh, I mean, some of my line cooks were older than my parents and had been line cooks for quite a long time at some different steakhouses or whatever, and kind of took me under their arm and taught me some things, and I'll never forget that. And I'll always um, have a soft place in my heart for people who aren't judgmental of the fact that I was a young gal um, who didn't really know what she was doing, but helped me out, and that got me through my many of my day-to-day, and I'll, ne- I'll never forget those people. Was there somebody that that you really looked up to that really inspired you to want to be a chef and continue to pursue that path? Well, I think growing up, I witnessed um, people in the catering business. As a young gal, I would go to parties different people have and kind of sit back in the kitchen and watch the caterers, and I was fascinated by that. Uh, they didn't mind. I'd sit quietly in the corner and ask questions and just watch what they did. And to me, it was magic how they could walk into someone's home and suddenly produce this wonderful party for 50 people magically. And I um, aspired to do that and learn from that. And many some of these caterers shared their recipes with me. And I followed them around a little bit, and they didn't seem to mind. And that's how... That inspiration came to me as I started to learn more on my own, going being in Washington, D.C. Were there other established chefs that you kind of modeled yourself after? Early 70s, there wasn't much on TV, and cookbooks-wise, I was really more sort of into gourmet magazine. But a woman who was in Louisville who um, worked for the Courier Journal and had some cookbooks was Camille Glenn. And she was teaching cooking classes in Louisville. My mother took some of her classes and some other women that I knew. And she was teaching these women who did not know much about cooking some fabulous recipes. And I was a recipient, because my mother was taking the classes of some of these recipes, and got to meet Camille Glenn. As years went on, I helped her out occasionally with a few things. But she became a mentor to me because as she 
was much older, but she never stopped. She kept cooking. She kept writing books. She lived to 100. She had her 100th birthday at our restaurant, actually. Oh, wow. uh, With a wonderful crown in her head. But she was very inspiring and gave me the sense that you're never too old. With cooking, it's it's always an art form. Um, you, You will continue to learn. So I would say she was very much of an inspiration to me. But before I really got to know the Julia Child, um, the Jacques Pepin, the other chefs, um, Jeremiah Towers, down the road, which I was exposed to in the latter part of the 70s or early 80s, she was my, it was the beginning. It seems like a good point to say that you really were one of the first female chefs in the country and definitely one of the first in Louisville. Yes, I think I was. I was was young, very young, and um, I didn't stop. Um, I did take a pause and did fashion for a couple of years, but I still did catering during that period. But I, I always kept my foot in the door with food. I knew that was what I wanted to, to always come back to. And I still, throughout that whole period, always wanted to learn more and more and more, and that was reading and traveling. Louisville was ripe at the time for new restaurants, um, for catering. And I was lucky to be here and had very lucky to have so many wonderful people that supported me from the very beginning all the way through my career um, and still do, um, that they, their, um, their friendship, they became good friends. And I'll, I'll never forget those people because that's what made my career in Louisville so strong. And they helped me build my business from catering to the restaurant. What's the best advice that you ever received? Working very hard. I have a very strong work ethic. And, um, and do it yourself. And that's one thing that um, I'm a firm believer in is rather than passing it off, have someone else do it for you. Do it yourself and show by example. And I think that it really helped me in my business and with my staff. But if you can't do it, it's sort of like, um, what, how can you expect them? I firm believe that, that that kind of work ethic goes a long way in this day and age. You also helped establish Louisville as a foodie town and pretty much helped place a spotlight on the town and, and gave it some national recognition. One thing that was important to me was in the early 90s, we started, myself and a few other people, wanted to support the local farmers and we had a meeting with uh, the state government officials and local chefs restaurant tours and farmers the thing that basically sort of happened was we decided to a few of us decided to go ahead and get a middleman and and do this try try this out well the middleman idea didn't work and so we basically settled on let's just if we want to do this do it yourself and yes, it was more work to do to call these farmers who don't like to talk on the phone, who are hard to get a hold of, but it was worth it. And that's what got off for me. And I did help a lot of farmers um, get off the ground, so to speak, get up, get up from the ground and sell their products to restaurants. And I'm very proud of that. You championed the farm-to-table movement with that effort. Well, I, be- I helped begin that, I'm, I, I, for sure, and um, I met so many wonderful farmers and am, am so pleased that they did so well and continue to, to do in this state, in this city. Um, it's only, it just it's keeps growing. 
I was there to support them in the beginning and had their names on the menu. My husband put them on the menu. That was very unique in Louisville at that time. Well, I don't know of any other restaurant that does that, so I think that was awesome. Well, thanks. Well, let's talk about the restaurant we have yet to name, and that was Lily's. Lily's, Lily's, a fantastic restaurant that you opened in 1988? 89. February 3rd, my grandmother's birthday, 89. Okay, 89. It is considered Louisville's best and longest running restaurant until it closed its doors on June of 2020. Yes, it was a, a, a very sad day and very hard decision no doubt about it, but the time had come to close the doors and for me to move on to, to something something else and not quite knowing what that was going to be. I knew it would be food-related, but we had a wonderful run at Lily's and uh, loyal customers and a lot of fun events that we, we did and met a lot of great people, moments that will um, I'll cherish forever and always remember all the good moments we had. As the world changed, it was time for us to, for my husband and I, to close those doors and to open a new door for us. Uh, While we still physically had the energy to do it and could do something still for our city, just in a different way. As we said, your restaurant was uh, very popular, and you worked there almost, it seemed like, every day. About every, <laughs> well, when you own your restaurant, it's, it's a seven-day-a-week job. I know it brought a lot of pleasure to your life, but do you feel like you missed out because you spent so much time at your job? Well, I feel I, I missed out on some things. I wished, for example, that I had had, had more time actually with my kids. Um, they were up there a lot. They were almost physically born up there. I guess the way I am, I'm committed. And so it's my restaurant, it's my name up there that I need to be there to oversee everything. And as we had not only the restaurant, but also the catering and a gourmet to go, it's the ego, but you do feel it's your reputation that's going to get criticized if people have a bad meal whether you cooked it or not, someone, maybe another chef did, I would still take the blame in a sense of like, it's my restaurant, I should be overseeing this. So it was hard and demanding, but the reward was on a given day or night after a catering job and people said, oh, Kathy, it was fabulous after you maybe you catered a wedding for 500 people or after a busy Saturday night when everybody was really happy, not just the guests, but the staff, we'd come home and go like, what a great night to be a restaurateur and chef. And those nights would win you over and get you right back up the next day and off you went. Um, and my kids are great kids. They have no, they, they, they know how hard um, my husband and I worked up there. They both worked at the restaurant in different capacities, did not want to own a restaurant or be a part of it. And I totally support them on that. But they also learned so much from their experiences up there. And I'm so proud of them for that. And they have great respect for the restaurant industry. A top moment of your career so far? Well, a top moment in my career definitely was when I was asked to cook the James Beard house in Greenwich Village in 1995, I believe it was. That was uh, truly a moment I'll never forget, and the staff that was with me will never forget. It was life-changing. I'm not going to cry right now. It was really a moment that made you realize what you had done for food in your town and your self-satisfaction of what I'd accomplished. 
Well, you are a seven-time James Beard Award nominee. Yes, I was. Very, very proud of that. All seven times I got to go up there and meet people, shake hands, and, and, and be in, in awe of who I would see up on stage. And the James Beard Awards is one of a kind. It's so special. And um, just to be a part of that meant so much to me and to my staff. And to all of Louisville, just to know that someone from Louisville, Kentucky, was going up there to represent our city. And um, I'll, I'll never forget those moments. But the first time up there just cooking in that house was really uh, a moment of recognition. You mentioned that you have plans now that Lily's yes, is yeah. in the rearview mirror. I still um, enjoy cooking for some of my clients. Um, my husband and I do some volunteer work at a, a school in Louisville called the Weston School. We feed uh, these wonderful kids uh, once a month. Uh, we've done a little volunteer work for the Gildas Club. I have a garden out in the country, out in Prospect, and continuing to find different ways to to give my talents to different organizations. I've been auctioned off for Meals People's Homes to raise money for different organizations, Louisville Ballet, Gilda's Club. I love doing that. It's, to me, a way to give back. I get to keep my fingers in the pot, so to speak, and do some new <laughs> things, new ideas. I get to see and meet people that I've missed seeing in the restaurant. And it's been a great reward to know that my cooking is benefiting different organizations, uh, makes you feel really good about what you've, what I've done, what I've continued to do in my life to cook. I got to ask on a lighthearted note, what's your favorite ingredient? One ingredient. One ingredient. What is it, your all-time favorite? Well, I could just say butter and call it a day, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's a kitchen utensil that's indispensable to you? Oh, a, um, a grater. Okay. I, I love because yeah, I love it whether it's cheese lemon zest onions it's very versatile now and you pretty much answered this just a moment ago but now who do you get the most pleasure cooking for everyone's a little bit different um but I would say I'm having great pleasure with these uh, young boys in the western school because I get to perhaps feed them something that they have not tasted before or maybe it's, it's kind of the old secret ingredient, and that's really fun to, to watch people's taste buds and watch their face as they taste something, and just to know that perhaps it's uh, a memory thing, though, when we come back next time, they might ask about those ingredients again, or that, that dish, and that makes me really happy, because I try to make, everything I do is homemade for them, and I like to kind of push my envelope a little bit to maybe have something that they haven't had, or mm -hmm. won't might not have in the next couple of years that gives me a lot of pleasure to see to see that surprise them yes yes yeah. the holidays are upon us I think it would only seem fitting to get some tips from someone like yourself for Thanksgiving for the holiday season one of the most important things is to have a fun during the holidays and that's fun in the kitchen also and fun with your family and fun if you're by yourself and that's planning ahead so I'm a real proponent on if you can freeze something freeze it if you can make something two three days ahead do it and I give that advice all year round to people so the kitchen they're not slaves to their kitchen and they can't get out of there because they have to pull this meal off 
So that's one thing um, people really need to think about, and especially thinking of different things they want to make for the holidays, um, whether it's making corn pudding and cooking it off two days ahead of time or making some yeast rolls and putting them in the freezer because they thaw beautifully. Uh, it's where they're making like a pumpkin flan for your dessert for Thanksgiving, but that can be made three days in advance. You know, if you're going to have a turkey, you know, brine your turkey. It'll take half the time to cook, if not less, which makes you're not having to wait seven hours for that turkey, maybe two hours, you know, to cook it. There's so many different vegetable casseroles you can make ahead. Um, also, right now, I think important is some ingredients are hard to find, and grocery stores are having a hard time keeping up, so... Don't go out and buy too much in bulk, but buying some things that you can freeze to stock or put in your refrigerator so you have them handy. There's so many things that people can make ahead of vinaigrettes, candy pecans. I mean, I'm thinking sort of little things on the side that you could do, a lot of hors d'oeuvres that you could make that you could be totally, you know, two-thirds done with the holidays in your freezer if you have the space or refrigerator and then come down to that, those things you have to do day of. But it's not such a, such a nightmare. And I think that's what becomes overwhelming with people. It's so hard to imagine I have to do it all, you know, in, in one day. day. And that should not be the, you should never make a menu where that, that's it demanding. Where it, that, because it's just, it's too, way too tiring. I think people just don't know what they can and cannot freeze. And that's, I think you've been really helpful. In well, there's so many things you can, and I think that pe people get scared about certain things to freeze, but also a lot of things do have a shelf life in their refrigerator. So um, that's something to really you know contemplate. I mean, you can freeze gravies. I'm thinking about the dog on turkey again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're going to make a cornbread stuffing, you could make the cornbread and freeze the cornbread before you thought, and then you can make the stuffing. I mean, things like that, the th thinking ahead. So you, you save your fresh vegetables and your fresh salad um, for the day of. But everything else, a lot of it could be frozen. Hmm. Okay. So I do have to ask, how will you be celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday this year? Well, Thanksgiving, my aunt cooks for us, so we're really lucky. So I'm in charge of Christmas. Oh, But on okay. so many things I just said, trust me, I'll be making them <laughs> ahead of time. So I can enjoy Christmas with my family, and I help my sister on Christmas Eve, but I don't want to have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day to get ready for our, our lunch for 25 people. Um, I want to not sleep in, but just not stress out. Right. And uh, I look forward to helping my sister on Christmas Eve, and I want to enjoy that time in listening to carols and cooking, but under a very relaxed setting. And I think that's, um, we're also wound up in the holidays anyway, all jacked up about presents and how fast time goes and feeding people. It's time to kind of unwind a bit and enjoy it and at a, at a, at a mellower pace. Yeah. Savor the moment. Yes, that's right. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's talk about your more about your personal life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're in your kitchen. Let's talk about your decorating style. How would you describe it? Well, I'm pretty eclectic. We I like bold colors, um, and I like a lot of variety and textures and all. Uh, we love to collect art, and that's a, a lot of it had to do with our wonderful collection of art we had at the restaurant from artists, um, a lot of artists from Eastern Kentucky and kind of all over the United States. 
you know, our house is sort of a, a an old country farmhouse. It's about over 100 years old, um, and I love that. And but w- what we've done inside is um, is kind of made an old Victorian house with um, you know spruced it up with lots of bold color and knocked out some walls to make to change some of the, the rooms. I'd say one thing is is colorful and warm. Other than the kitchen, do you have a favorite room in the house? Well, probably my office, which is um, special to me. It's got all my cookbooks up there and a lot of my pictures of, you know, the Jacques Pepin, the Julia Child, and Jeremiah Tower, and those kind of memories, and that some beard awards, and, of course, family. But it's warm and cozy and with a lot of things that have been close to me during my career um, and my life as a, as a mom and a, and a wife. So it's, um, I like it because it's, it's small. And so I look around it, it, I, it's, it's all my many memories, many wonderful memories all in one room, which is, um, very special to me. When you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I do like, like jazz. Um, when I'm in my car, which driving a lot to the country I mean I'm, I'm I can't say it's all relaxing but it's like you know I'm Sting, Leonard Cohen, um, Crossy Stills and Nash um, I'll throw them up a lot of sort of 60s music and some 60s sort of rock and stuff a oh, very old kind of you know rock and roll and um, but uh, you know then I'll throw in Pink Martini something to me much more current but I'm not I don't I don't um, my husband's a musician but I can't say that I'm really musically inclined that way. I, I, I can work for hours in my kitchen with nothing on, in total silence. And that's the way I was at the restaurant in my kitchen, maybe not in some of the other chef's kitchen, but mine was uh, always very quiet. I'm just thinking a lot, and I, I kind of like that. I like that. I like the quiet. I used to run marathons, and one thing I, and not plugged in, just the miles by myself, unplugged. And it was a great time for me to contemplate menus and recipes or how to handle things in my business. And just that time uh, alone is special. And I do it when I walk now. And even when I'm cooking here, it's just, it's Kathy's time. So I'm kind of that way. If you're on a walk and you have all these great thoughts, what do you do with those thoughts? Do you have to stop and write them down somewhere? <laughs> no, I many a thought on a walk. I just I remember them, and when I oh. come back, I, I get out and get out the paper start, and I start writing. It. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd be afraid even on those runs or <laughs> on the walks. You know, I'd have all these thoughts, and I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not sure if I'll remember them all." But Maybe you have a better mind than I. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have hobby? Gardening. Gardening and walking. I'm st- taking up pickleball. And really? Why? Oh, because I, 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 I love being active, and I was a tennis player, but tennis now. Pickleball is a little more forgiving. The court's smaller. Um, you don't have to run quite as fast or as long or as far, I guess. And it's a challenge, but it's and it's a lot of laughs out there playing pickleball. More laughs than I did when I played tennis, so it's it's just a fun sport I can do now that I'm getting older. And um, and riding horses, um, I grew up riding horses, and I'm starting to get back into it because I I really do miss it. I miss that bond um, with that wonderful those wonderful animals. Uh, so that's on my that's on my agenda for um this retirement do you have a couple of horses at the farm we have horses out there retired racehorses they're not mine but i feed them carrots and pet them they know me 
And um, so they're sort of my little my buddies. Okay. Well, you're right. You've got a to-do list. Yes. You got to get one so you can write them. Meaningful trip. You've alluded to, you've taken many trips, some for work and some, I'm sure, for pleasure. Is there one that you can share with us? I'd say one of the most meaningful trips we took as a family is in about 1999, 2000. We took our kids um, for the first time. We rented a house in the south of France and were there for two weeks and had the most wonderful time. And I think why it was so special was was the first time my kids had been in Europe and renting this home in the middle of nowhere was outside Avignon in a place called La Roque-Arrique is that we truly lived the French sort of country lifestyle for two weeks. You know, my son and I went to the markets every day. We we ate at the small little local restaurants. Um, we walk, went, walked around all the small little towns, went to the wineries. But they really got a taste and a feel for life in Europe and the kids. And to watch them connect with the French kids and some German kids and all on the, whether it was on the, the beach in Nice or in the, in the vineyards in, in the Provence was just as a parent, very special to see since they didn't speak the same language. Kids are kids and they all got along laughing and playing and that's a universal, wonderful gift. Uh, so have seen that and, and feeling that they um, had made a bond. And we went back uh, the following year and it only strengthened my conviction that we had done a really smart thing as parents to expose our kids to this wonderful um, experience. Sounds like a fantastic time it was for a, everyone. It was. What is your secret to a great dinner party? Well, the people. The people make the dinner party. And then I think having a, and it, it, it's, I, I think a secret dinner party is having a small dinner party. I think at a round table when everyone can talk and no one feels left out. Everyone's involved in conversation. And to keep it at a pace, well, at, at not to hurry it along. I think having like a three-course meal is great because it makes people kind of pause. And if someone was really slow in a certain course, then people and the other people just drink a little more wine and sit there perhaps <laughs> and let them slowly eat. But I just think it's, um, and it's having a meal that's, that's um, you know, if you don't, it depends how well you know your guests, but n- nothing too complicated that's going to make it difficult for anyone to ask what it is or whatever, but something that, that they, I won't say common, but something that's interesting um, to, to people, knowing if I'm going to cook it, that's going to be something something perhaps unusual they wouldn't do at home, uh, but making it a very calm, relaxed evening with, um, with, with, with no stress and perhaps some wonderful jazz in the background. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) With the holidays coming, does your family have any holiday traditions or is there a special memory that you can share or both? Well, traditions are, yes, it's, it's beef on Christmas Eve and usually Yorkshire pudding. It's something we had for decades with my grandparents and my parents. And then when I took it over for the first few years, Christmas Eve, I did it. And roast beef and Yorkshire pudding and cream spinach with mushrooms, yeast rolls. I think it was potocrim for dessert. And then we sort of switched up a, a bit um, over the years. And now we do tenderloin on Christmas Eve. 
and more like a potato gratin and yeast rolls. Oh, you fancied it up. Fancied it up. <laughs> and I do Christmas, and we stick with tradition, which is turkey, back from Thanksgiving, but it is, you know, about a month later, so you've got turkey again, um, and oysters. Mm. Good old creamed oysters, and I am a big fan of the creamed spinach with the mushrooms. And then we do a salad, uh, which is a wonderful salad with grapefruit and oranges and bib, Kentucky bib lettuce and uh, goat cheese and a poppy seed dressing, which is delicious. A little sweet, but it's, um, it's delicious and very pretty. And um, an ice cream dessert. My grandmother always had ice cream German molds with ice cream uh, mo- ice cream and the molds were like a were like a Santa Claus and a reindeer and angels. So my husband came up with an idea and he calls it the, the bomb, and it's a it's a big bowl and different layers of ice cream and sorbets um, with panouche. What's that? Panouche is ca- uh, candied pecans with basically caramel, mm. all chopped up in the middle. So um, it's not a Santa Claus or reindeer mold, but it's a wonderful bomb with different layers of sorbets and ice cream, which goes with my grandma's fudge sauce. So it's a really wonderful substitution. So we do have our traditions, and we're trying to keep them in some form so that we'll continue on for, for a very long time. You just made me hungry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, let's wrap things up with five quick questions. Okay. These are really, really lighthearted. What's your favorite flower? Oh, gosh. I'd have to say a uh, good old sunflower. One of your all-time favorite movies? Oh, You Can't Take It With You. Ooh. That is a... Um, look it up. You Can't Take It With You. It's okay. a fabulous movie from the 1940s. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? A Volvo. All right. What's your favorite midnight snack? Oh, um, well, I don't really do midnight snacks, but if I did, I'd probably have probably a spoonful of apricot yogurt. Oh, okay. (laughs) How how weird, but I love apricots. That's okay. (laughs) And is there a restaurant in the world that you're dying to try? There are a lot of restaurants I'd like to try in the world. It's a matter of traveling. Um, well, I mean, there's Eliana in Chicago I'd like to go to, which oh. is not that mm-hmm. far away, just a matter of doing it. Um, and there's um, Noma. You only had to name one. Okay. You're okay. Okay. <laughs> Kathy, you're amazing. I really appreciate your oh, time. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a real treat to be here, Michelle. I really enjoy it. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.